Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I can see some of you are looking extra special with your new haircuts. Lots of people have been to the barbers or the hairdressers this week. I'm looking forward to my trip tomorrow. Um, how do I just, how do I tip this one? <laughs> I'm not very good at this. Can you do Thank you. Um, hope you've enjoyed some sunshine. Anybody been to the pub this week? No? Yes. We enjoyed sitting in a pub garden yesterday afternoon, which felt like a total luxury. Thank you very much. And uh, I don't know if you've uh, been catching up with The Chosen. Anyone been watching The Chosen? Oh, I want to encourage you. Uh, the Chosen, uh, the first few series of um, episodes of series two, season two, are out. The Chosen is an amazing dramatization, new dramatization of the life of Jesus, and in particularly looking at it through the uh, lens of the disciples. So they are kind of being brought to life in a 3D way. Absolutely brilliant. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. You can watch it on YouTube or on the app. Brilliant TV. Okay, so we're continuing our post-Easter series, as Andrew said, on uh, the impact of the resurrection. Uh, and we're going to get straight into today's passage, which you can find in Acts chapter 4, if you've got a Bible or if you've got a Bible on your phone. And uh, today we are going to talk a little bit about courage, which may seem a strange thing to be talking about in this kind of moment in life when, uh, you know, there's still kind of continued disruption going on and many of us are, are weary and, you know, disorientated with, with all kinds of things going on in life. And yet God's people throughout the ages have always faced struggles of different kinds, and courage has always been a characteristic that they have needed. So we're going to talk a bit about courage, and I wonder if you're turning to Acts chapter 4, uh, whether you would describe yourself this morning as a courageous person. Would you describe yourself as a courageous person? There are all kinds of events in life, aren't there, that require us to be courageous, from facing a diagnosis to facing the world when you've lost your husband of 73 years, which the Queen had to do yesterday. And I know that for many of us at certain periods of time in life, actually just facing a new day requires courage for us, depending on our life circumstances. Facing a day and choosing hope can be at times a courageous choice. But today we're going to talk about the kind of courage we need to share our faith. I don't know about you, but uh, I think courage is one of those things that we all aspire to have more of. You know, I know I do. I know I would love to be a more courageous person. And Jesus, we don't often talk about the courage of Jesus, but Jesus had courage in spade loads, didn't he? It was courage that took him to the cross. It was courage that enabled him to do so much of what he did. And he's in the business of making us like him. So he's wanting to grow our courage. He's wanting to grow our courage. I don't often find myself agreeing with uh, Chinese philosophers, but there's a chap called Lao Tzu who said this, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength while loving someone deeply gives you courage. And I think courage is an outworking of love. If we want to love people, if we want to love God's world, let alone the people that we, that we already love, we need courage. Courage to be witnesses, courage to share our faith, courage to tell people that we're a Christian, courage to stand up for what we believe in, courage to stand up for what God cares about, courage to make disciples who make courageous decisions. Do you remember the game of tag? Do you remember playing the game of tag when you were in the playground when you were younger? You know, you ran around, chased somebody, you know, touched them, said tag, and then they were it, and they had to go and do the same to other people. Well, that's what Jesus did, wasn't it? After his resurrection... He stood ready to go back to heaven, and he basically said to his disciples, tag, you're it. 
You know, you now go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We're, we're it. Now, he's gone back to heaven. We're it. We're the tag team. That's effectively what Jesus has done. And the disciples are on record in the book of Acts of praying for courage because they knew that they needed courage to be witnesses, to be it, to go around tagging others, as it were. And if they needed courage, how much more do I? You know, how much more do we as God's church? And do you know what, friends, as our culture becomes increasingly post-Christian, I believe we are going to need more courage. You will have seen this week that Sir Keir Starmer ended up being pressurized into apologizing for, for, for visiting uh, an amazing church, an amazing Nigerian church uh, in North London uh, who, were, who were helping out with the pandemic because the fact that they stand for traditional Christian beliefs was an offense to many. And he ended up being pressurized to apologize. We are living in a post-Christian culture. And friends, we are going to need, I believe, more courage. So for those of us that want to grow our courage a bit today, I hope this passage is going to help us. A uh, little bit of background. We're going to, as I said, read from Ch- Acts chapter 4. But a little bit of background. The story really begins in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple. Jesus um, had gone back up to heaven a few weeks previously. We'll be celebrating Pentecost in a few weeks. So uh, they, they're going to the temple to meet up with uh, the, the rest of his followers to, to hang out and to worship and to study God's word together. And there's a man sitting by the gate who's lame. And the Bible says that he's been lame all his life and he was planted by that gate every day so that he could beg. So interestingly, Jesus would have passed him you know, and some of his trips up to the temple prior to that time. And Jesus, for whatever reason, hadn't healed him. But he gets his moment for his miracle on this day because he's crying out for money. And Peter and John say, we haven't got money, but in the name of Jesus, be healed. And he gets up and he walks and he walks into the temple and everybody's really shocked. And then Peter stands up and starts preaching this amazing sermon, quite a, a sort of you know, challenging, full-on sermon about Jesus and the fact that he died. and was, You know, you can read it in chapter 3. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 4, which is the response to what's going on. We're going to read verses 13 to 22, but uh, I'm going to just remind you of the last phrase of Peter's dynamic sermon. Uh, Verse 12, he says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is the summary of his sermon. So the passage, verse 13, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a miraculous sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And after further threats, they let them go. By the way, Peter and John had been put in prison the previous night before these guys could decide what to do with them. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. 
for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I'm not quite sure how relevant that is, but you know, maybe it's harder to heal a man who's over 40 than a man who's under 40. I don't know. So we've got the disciples speaking out about the name of Jesus. We've got a man who's been miraculously healed, and we've got a whole load of people who think it's amazing, and another load of people who don't like it. So before we just dig into this a bit and see what we can learn about where Peter and John got their courage from, I just want to highlight a couple of things, because I just, I can't help it. (laughs) And the first thing is this, this whole thing about sharing their faith began with a miracle. Let's remember this morning, even, I'd love to be talking about miracles, I'd love to be talking about miracles, but we're not going to talk about miracles this morning. But it was the miracle that opened the door for the message. It was the miracle that opened the door for the message. Now, I have seen miracles. I've seen uh, my mother. uh, I prayed for my mother for six months, years and years ago, and she was miraculously healed of stage four cancer. I have seen miracles, but I want to see more miracles. And I believe as a church, we should be wanting to see more miracles because God loves people, but also because miracles open the door for the message. So let's just, I'm not going to say more than that, but let's just remember that as a church, God wants us to be pursuing opportunities to pray for miracles, to pray for people to be healed, to pray for God to move in the lives of those around us, whether they're in our offices or whether they're, uh, you know, at the school gate or whether, uh, you know, we see people around us, you know, we meet them in the supermarket or whatever. Let's be open and praying for the opportunities to pray for miracles because miracles open the door for God's message. Second thing, the message that we carry that God has given us for his world is more powerful than the most powerful miracle. This was an extraordinary miracle that happened. This guy, he was over 40 years old. Can you believe it? And he was miraculously healed. And yet what does the passage say that these guys wanted to do? You know, look back. Verse 18 They called them and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They didn't command them not to pray for people. You know, they were were okay with the miracle. They were okay with this guy, uh, Peter and John, serving this guy. They just weren't okay about him speaking about Jesus. They were okay with the miracle. They weren't okay with the message. That's because the message that we carry is more powerful than the most... uh, powerful miracle. They wanted the message silenced, not the miracles. And do you know what, friends? Let's, rem- let's let this story remind us again the story that the message that we have of the good news of Jesus is powerful. The world needs the good news. And the world needs the good news more than it needs a message about a political ideology or um, poverty ending or um, any other blessing that we might be able to bestow on our culture, important as they are. There are all kinds of causes that we're, you know, we're encouraged to be involved in, you know, looking after God's world, all kinds of things like that. But the most important message that the world needs is the message of the good news about Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? The message that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be reconnected with God, that there is life beyond the grave. Do we believe this is the message that the world needs to hear more than anything else? That Jesus 
has the power to change hearts, not the law. That Jesus has the power to change minds. That Jesus has the power to change destinies and families and communities and nations. And we have this message not because we're special, but because we know him. And he gives this message to everyone who he reveals himself to, you, to and who responds to him. So because of the power of this message, we need to open our mouths, friends. And because of the power of the me this message, the enemy wants us to keep our mouths shut. And that's what's going on in this passage. That's why for many of us, it's a battle. It's a battle to kind of stand up in a particular environment where we feel a bit intimidated and go, actually, I'm a Christian. Or actually, I believe this. Or, you know, can we talk about faith? It's why it's a battle to, to sometimes get in, step into a conversation with friends, fans, friends or family members or colleagues or neighbours or whatever. It's why we worry about what people will think about us or how it's going to go or whether we're going to say the right thing or whether it's the right moment or what we're going to say. Because the enemy wants us to keep our mouths shut. Let's remember that. That was what is going on in this passage and it's what goes on, you know, has gone on throughout the ages and it's what goes on with us. Have you noticed how much easier it is to feel intimidated to speaking up about our faith than it is to just love or be kind or to bless somebody? It's because the enemy wants us to remain silent. So let's get good friends at being honest with God and about each other, about our weakness, about our fears, about our, you know, struggles in this area or whatever, you know, wherever we might want to grow in courage. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with God. Let's pray for him to move and work in us rather than behind, hiding behind the lie that actions speak louder than words. Do you know, Jesus didn't say that. And what this passage is demonstrating is that the message is more powerful than the miracle or actually any other kindness that we might be able to offer somebody. So what does this passage point to? Where did Peter and John, where did they get their courage? Where did it come from? Well, I believe it points to three things that are kind of working together that contribute to a growing courage within us. The first thing Peter had is he had conviction. Jesus had given him conviction. Peter was convinced. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I know that when I'm convinced about something, it changes the way I act and speak. I drove out of my drive um, about two weeks ago in our little car, which is very old, and there were some really strange noise, noises, and when I touched the brakes, you know, the, the car sort of shuddered a bit, uh, and I needed to get somewhere. So I, I ended up driving incredibly tentatively and cautiously and carefully across town because I was convinced that something might be about to fall off the car, you know, or the brakes were going to fail, and I was going to end up having an accident. A couple of days ago, I drove out of my drive in, in our other car, which is a, a bit more together. It's old, but it's a bit more together. And I was a bit late, but I was absolutely convinced that the brakes worked and the car worked. And so I probably drove too fast across town, uh, you know, and drove, you know, slightly recklessly because I was late, as I said. And uh, I drove in a different way because I was convinced that my car was, you know, going to get me where I wanted it to get me to. And I know it's a really small illustration, but when we're convinced about something, we have a confidence and a courage to act and speak in a different way than if we're not convinced. Let's remember where Peter was, you know, at the resurrection a few weeks previously. He was nowhere to be seen. Jesus was on the cross, and he'd even denied knowing Jesus 
He denied knowing Jesus, not in front of a crowd that were after his blood, but, it off, uh, but in front of us as slave girl, you know, a young woman who really posed no threat to him at all. But he couldn't bring himself to acknowledge that he knew Jesus. And yet here he is with the mic in front of tons of people, you know, talking about Jesus and about the resurrection. Something had changed and that what had changed in him was that he had conviction. The thing that changed him was the resurrection. The fact, the event, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, seeing him alive again. And so I want to ask us again, friends, is the resurrection convincing enough for us to have confidence to open our mouths? How convinced are we about its eternity-changing nature? You know, Paul says, if you want to read it later, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's an amazing chapter, and he's basically talking about the resurrection. He's basically saying, if the resurrection didn't happen and wasn't real and wasn't true, the rest of our faith is pointless. Yes, Jesus loves us, but Jesus loves us is not the full gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died and rose again, and the resurrection changes everything. Do we believe that? How much do we believe that? To Peter and John, it proved to them that God had ultimate power over everything, including death. It proved to them that God alone could forgive sin, which is the thing that keeps us separated from God now and for eternity. It proved to them that everything that Jesus had said about himself and about God was true, because this was the hardest thing he could do, and yet he came back to life again. It proved that the stuff that Jesus had said about eternity, about life beyond the grave, was true. It proved that Jesus hadn't left them, that God hadn't abandoned them, that he was still with them. Jesus coming back to life moved Peter's conviction tank from empty to full. I wonder whether it does the same for us. Because if it was true for them and it had eternal implications for them, it's true for us and it has eternal implications for us and it has eternal implications for the rest of the world. And when we're in touch with that, you know, the more in touch with that I am, the more my courage is stirred and my heart is stirred to open my mouth. How convinced are you this morning about the seriousness of sin, about the consequences, about the consequences, the consequences of sin and our world's need for the forgiveness and the grace and the life that Jesus offers. We're living in a post-Christian culture, as I've said, which increasingly blames others for our, our experience of life. Some of you know uh, John Mark Comer. He's a bit of a cultural philosopher, and he said this. There's an idea around now increasingly that early on in life I was... This beautiful inner child, I wasn't wounded. I wasn't corrupted by my environment or my family or whatever. And the fool becomes different things like trauma or my wound or, my, or any external given identities, any kind of expectations that are put on me based on my gender or my ethnicity or my social class or my nationality or my career. Even binding commitments like marriage and duty or whatever, these things become the fall and they become the reason for the condition that we're in and therefore the main problem. 
And that's the narrative that culture is increasingly pushing our way. And if we become convinced by this cultural narrative, then sorting out those problems and releasing people from those problems becomes the solution, not Jesus offering forgiveness for sin and a relationship with God and life everlasting. So let's ask ourselves again this morning, what do we believe the greatest problem is in our world? What do we believe is the greatest need of the people around us? Because our level of conviction will affect how much we are compelled and have the courage to open our mouths. Do you believe the resurrection could, uh, could dramatically change the life of the people that you know who are around you? Do you believe it could change them in a dramatic way? Do you believe that knowing the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus would make the biggest difference to those around you? Do you believe that we will all have to stand before God one day and give an account of the way we've lived and what we've done with his son? Do you believe that God is with you wherever you are, helping you to share the message that he's invited you to share? Do we believe that people's eternal destinies are decided here on earth, depending on how they respond to Jesus? Do we believe that they need to hear about him and that we're the ones that are called to tell them? Peter and John are convinced. They're absolutely convinced because they've seen him again. And he's proved that everything he said he was going to do is true. So they can't help. Look at the passage. They can't help speaking about what they've seen and heard. I can't see the verse numbers. Verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Okay, second thing. Much more briefly. Much more briefly. Secondly, they have conviction. They have community. There's this beautiful rhythm in Peter's life, Peter and John's life, this beautiful kind of, almost like a, a rhythm, like a pendulum of, of being with the believers and then going out again and then returning. They were going to the temple. Then they start speaking to those, you know, who are listening. And then they, return, then they have this encounter with uh, the um, authorities. And then they return in verse 23. We didn't read it. They returned to where all the believers were. There's this incredible rhythm of, of connection and then being scattered from the community on a daily basis. My kids had a pretty tough time in secondary school. I think, I think, think school can be a really challenging place to be for, for kids. And uh, two of my kids in particular had a really tough time for a couple of years. They hated school every day. It required so much courage to go back into school to face particular people, to face particular circumstances, to, uh, um, to face particular situations. And the thing that kept them going was the ability to come back home every day, to come back to their community, to be loved, to be believed in, to be strengthened, to be empowered, to be encouraged, to literally have courage put back into them for the next day. It was their family community that kept them going and kept them alive and actually enabled them to thrive in that challenging environment. And God's given us the family of God so that we can thrive and be bold in the environments where he's put us as his witnesses. But we need our community. We need to be connected to community. We need to be closely connected to community like these disciples were because courage comes from community. It's another place where it comes from. People who've got your back, who, are stand, you know, who want to stand with you, who want to pray for you, who will put courage into you and say, go again, we're with you, we're for you, we're praying for you, we're covering you, whatever. Whatever. 
They were on mission together, but they also needed the encouragement of the community. So friends, let's hear that again this morning. And if you're not connected to community, if you're not in a life group, as Andrew said, please find a place to be connected because you cannot live your best life, the life that God has made you for, neither can I, without community. And then lastly, Peter and John, I believe, this passage shows us that they got their courage from connection with Jesus. They got their courage from conviction, they got it from community, their community, and they got it from their connection with Jesus. Look back at verse 13. Let's just find it again. I'm in the wrong part of the Bible. Here we go. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, this is the authorities looking at Peter and John and looking on at them and listening to what they say. They realized that they were ordinary, unschooled men. They hadn't been to theological college. They weren't brilliant at articulating themselves or the gospel. They were astonished. And what did they take note of? That they had been with Jesus. They took note that these guys had been with Jesus. I find it fascinating that the, that the disciples, one of the things they said when they were with Jesus before he was crucified, and they watched him living and ministering, and they were so impressed with the impact that he was having. Do you know what they said to him? The one thing that they asked him to teach them was teach us to pray. Teach us how to be with God. Teach us how to connect with God. Because they clearly connected the impact that Jesus was having with his connection with the Father. And here are the authorities doing the same thing. They're connecting the impact that Peter and John are having with their connection with the Father. Courage comes from our connection with the Father. You know, we talk about it a lot here. It's why we've got those rule of life booklets, because we all need encouraging to develop a healthy rhythm and patterns that enable us to connect in, a, in, a, in, a, in an intimate and in an effective way with Jesus, with his presence, reading his word, praying, spending time with him, being touched by him, and most significantly being filled by him because it's his spirit that puts courage into us when we're with him. You know, I'm sure that's all of our testimony, that when we're facing things that we're afraid of and we're in his presence and we're listening to him and we're praying, we find ourselves, you know, emerging with more courage than we had them before we began, even if it's just a small increment. Connection with Jesus helps grow our courage. I don't know where you would say you were on a scale of one to ten. If ten was, yeah, I'm full of courage, you know, really up for walking into challenging and difficult situations with my faith, or whether you would say you were at one. But friends, as you know, God invites us to come to him as we are recognizing our deficits, recognizing our need, not gritting our teeth and trying to do harder, as Andrew said, but relaxing in his presence, acknowledging what we need from him and where we want to grow. So I would love to encourage us as his people, as a church, to kind of embrace our need for more courage. And I sometimes wonder, what would it look like if the church in England was full of courage? If we, the people of God, were living on a daily basis with courage, you know, oozing out of us, you know, in the parts of the world where the gospel is spreading, where the kingdom is growing, you know, it's because God's people are walking in courage, in power, yes, but in courage. So I'd love to encourage us this morning 
to think about how much courage do we have and how much courage do we want. And if we want more courage to take it seriously and to ask God for it and to bring our emptiness and our weakness before him and ask him to move and grow that in us for the sake of his world. Because we are all he's got.